I want to give a shout out to Aventus, the world's leader in trade surveillance for digital assets. Trusted by Coinbase, Gemini, OSL, and many others, Aventus is also helping scores of other firms enter the crypto market. For digital asset trade surveillance, think Aventus. I'd like to also thank Kraken. With Kraken, you can instantly buy and sell over 50 of the most popular cryptocurrencies or earn additional rewards through their industry-leading staking service. Payouts are twice a week and you can earn up to 20% each year. Visit kraken.com scoop to learn more. Exodus is one of the most loved crypto apps due to its sleek design and easy-to-use exchange feature. Secure and manage over 130 cryptocurrencies from your computer or phone. No account registration is required. Download Exodus at exodus.com and you're ready to go. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, Director of News at The Block. And today we are joined by The Block's very own Wolfie Zhao, our Asia editor, boots on the ground, mining resident expert. We're excited to have you on the show. For the first time, it's been a long time coming. You've been spilling a lot of ink about the happenings and ongoings out of China, the developments on the mining side, how it's impacting just recent regulatory sort of crackdowns and how it's impacting the entirety of the ecosystem there. So I think just kind of laying it all out for the reader, like a kind of everything they need to know is so critical. So I'm super excited to have you kind of do that. Thanks for coming on. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, no, we're going to, we've got a lot of territory to cover. So you've been following this extremely closely. That's like almost an understatement. But can you recap for our listeners what we sort of know so far about the recent iteration of government crackdown in China on crypto and what the sort of catalyst was? I feel like this has kind of been bubbling up for a while. What kicked it off and what's the sort of state currently? Well, I think there are two things. Um, so like when people say about like crackdown, they didn't really separate the two kind of angles that are playing here. So there has been like this ESG concern, right? If you look at all the orders that the government has given out on miners, the government agencies has done that is from the so-called Development and Reformation Commission. They are in charge of the kind of energy kind of sector. And there is also the financial angle of it. So that's because, you know, you know after 2017, when they issued the ICO ban and the price, the market has been pretty much going down in the following years and didn't really recover to the previous all-time high until like end of last year. And then after that has been going on all the way to 60,000 and a lot of the retail interests has come back. A lot of Chinese retail investors are suddenly interested in Dogecoin, Shibcoin, all those things. Like I can even hear anecdotes from personal friends who are super into it somehow. So they realized that this kind of thing is getting a little more financial risk. And there's also cope with uh, ESG concern because the president of China has pledge to you know make the country carbon neutral by 26 2060 
that was his pledge at the UN um, convention or something. So that was like a global stage. So he was pretty serious about it. And so that, these things put everything together and kind of become the catalyst. So there is the financial side that is cracking down. Banks are cutting funding channels for OTC desks. There's the other side of it, which is energy angle, which is cracking down on Bitcoin miners. And then we see, that's why we see like Xinjiang shutting down power supplies to Bitcoin mining farms. And then obviously when the state council made a comment about cracking down on Bitcoin mining, they didn't say we're just going to crack down Bitcoin miners that are using fossil fuel power. They just say, you know, we want to crack it down. So obviously like provinces like Sichuan, even if it is using hydropower, they kind of do not want to be seen as not executing the central government's order effectively so they have to do something that's why they follow up so is there any possibility that this changes if miners potentially move towards more sustainable means of power uh you mean like globally overseas is sort of the current situation in china is this permanent is there any budging is oh. this the sort of final nail in the coffin for crypto Bitcoin mining? Because I feel like this has happened before. So it's like, what makes this time different? Is it simply a derivative of that speech that you were talking about or something else that makes us have more permanence? I think the crackdown on Bitcoin mining has never been serious. There were a lot of talks in 2018, 19, but... There wasn't anything like seriously enforced, but this time it seems like there's no way to go back. Having said that, there are some mining farms in Sichuan. Um, they're still, I think they're still operational, mm -hmm. um, but in a very small scale, kind of under the radar as much as possible. Um, if you can have a power plant and you can have infrastructure inside of the power plants, you're just using your own privately generated energy to power up the facility and you try to be as secretive <laughs> as possible and try not to be busted and whatever, then you can still maintain operation, but there's still the risk, right? How long are you going to be remain that way? But I think, I think in the foreseeable future, I think this is, it's, it's going to be hard for them to come back unless like there has been a pretty welcoming policy change. Now, how does it look on a sort of region by region basis? I remember you reported that in the southern province of Sichuan, which is probably not how you pronounce it at all. They they kind mm. of had like some meeting where they had different representatives of mining operations and state-owned power plants where they yeah. thought maybe there could be a more lenient position. So is there an opportunity for maybe a, a certain region or provenance in the country to kind of be a, a safe haven? Or is that now, that was back in June, I think. Is that out of the picture? That was the initial like expectation for a lot of miners. They, they thought, you know, this is more about ESG. So the fossil fuel power plants and powering the, the miners in Xinjiang, they are shut down. That's pretty expected. And then they thought, you know, Sichuan is going to be fine. The unique thing about Sichuan is that over the past like three decades, they built both private and public capital. They put too much money into building way too many hydropower plants. Like you don't really need that much power stations. 
they build too many of it. So at the very beginning, the usual way that power station works is that they generate, say, for example, you have 10,000, you have 10 megawatt of capacity and you typically you don't sell those energy directly to retailers or businesses. It's just selling a wholesale deal to like the state grid because they're the distribution monopoly. They are in charge of routing the electricity out and then sell it to end users like us. But it turns out like they built too many of the power stations. And so the state grid could not buy all the generated electricity. So in the end, when there are too many supplies, the state grid could only buy, like say, half of your 10 megawatts. What are you going to do with the five remaining megawatts? It's just go wasted. So that was when like the OG Bitcoin miners, they found out that there's like this energy excess in like 2013, 14. And they, they found out this, there's lots of hydropower plants and they made deals with them so so they can directly supply the hydroelectricity. So the, the unique thing is like Sichuan realized that there has been too many of this kind of secret operations. And then they have this so-called like this industrial park where like, you know, the hydro power plants, they sell the electricity to the state grid and the state grid can say, you know, we have these facilities built there. You guys can come, set up your own infrastructure. You can do Bitcoin mining. You can have your facilities, which just supply you with stable electricity. In return, you give us, you can cut us a, a share and also pay the taxes to the government. So it's sort of like a legal operation. Some of the mining farms, they're even owned by the state capital. So that's why people had the expectation that Sichuan is going to have like a more lenient measure to it in the end. But as I said, to their to the government's perspective, they have also to consider if they're playing, you know, the political things in the direct, right direction. If the central government says you're going to crack down on Bitcoin mining because we think this thing is not making any so quote unquote like a real thing to the to the GDP, to the economy. So why are you still, you know, kind of facilitating these kind of operations? So that's why they have to like shut it down, even though some of the some of the mining firms on the on the document, first batch of twenty six companies, one of them was even a state owned company. They still have to shut it down just to play safe. The one thing that I've been wondering about is you have several large unicorn status publicly traded companies operating the Bitcoin mining space in China, Canaan, eBang, yeah. Bitmain. Well, well, did Bitmain go public or is that, are we still waiting for that? Bitmain is not, not no, public, they but they're big. So what happens to these companies? I mean, you basically pull the rug out from under them, say that they can't operate effectively in the country that they've been operating in for years. They're massive, probably employing hundreds and hundreds of people, if not thousands. Are these firms, like, I don't understand what they do next. Do they move to North America? Do they move to Kazakhstan? What do they do? Um, Well, it depends on, like, how long have they been in the game. So there are a lot of the miners who started mining, like, 2014, 15, 16. Like, they made their money back for, like, several times so for these people it may not be like a too big of a deal it's just like probably call it call it down and yeah but where do they go though like what do they um if they want to move they can move to i mean there are there are kind of different options um like kazakhstan russia 
Central Asia countries and North America. Yeah, but the problem is like there is not much capacity available this at this point. So for everyone, everyone has to build the infrastructure. So you're you basically unplug like half of the network. You're gonna find the same amount of power capacity to house the 90x hash of hash rate. Um, it's gonna take a while. And not not everybody wants to invest in the infrastructure because it takes money, it takes time, it takes overhead. I think for, for miners, it would be natural for them to think if I can find a place to host machines, that would be ideal. Instead of me investing a lot of money mm. in foreign land to build an infrastructure where I don't know, probably don't know anybody. Um, mm. I don't know the laws and don't know local people. What, what if I get scanned? What if I get rock pulled? There are a lot of things people kind of are concerned about going overseas. And plus, if you go to the U.S., you're going to pay like 25% of tariff on electronic devices that are made in China. That impacts on the miners you have. If you go to Central Asia countries, it's closer. There's not much taxation on it, but, you know, they speak an entirely different language. So it's, not, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of headaches for them. If you cannot mine, uh, there's not much else you can do. If you can find somewhere else to host, sure. I think the miners themselves are probably little bit not so much of a concern because you have the machine right mm-hmm. you just you just lost a lot of opportunity costs but for the mining farms those people are probably getting wrecked the most because that's the real money they're putting to build the infrastructure and now they cannot operate yeah and you cannot make it into something else really so that would be a hard so what do they do with that like and you can't just like easily dump it right like you can't just take the infrastructure and put it somewhere else or well yeah there's not much we can do about it <laughs> like <laughs> suck it up um there's a hong kong like listed company we're all, we're all about they have like they claim to their um investors in a roadshow that they have like 40 megawatts like no 400 megawatts in Sichuan with three data centers and one is supposed to be operational in june and the other two have already been operational. And now they're just saying, you know, they're just suspended because the power plants cut, cut off the energy. So I mean, what are you going to do? You you just have to figure out if you want to keep mining and you have some machines and you probably, you know, on your way relocating them somewhere else as soon as possible. But for the money, the, the, it's kind of considered as some cost for the infrastructure. Big, big sunk cost. Probably. It is a big sunk cost. Yeah, that's that's the thing. I think, like, dealing with Chinese government. I think the miners in Xinjiang, they kind of realized that problem in April when there was, like, a coal mine accident and then, like, the uh, mining farms, it took kind of collateral damage because they were forced to shut down. And some of the miners, they already realized that this is kind of like a single point failure. You cannot anticipate any kind of similar... Like, you don't know if one day they, this kind of thing will happen again. And then you have no way to have a backup because mm-hmm. you, you just have to unplug. So, yeah, I mean, no one foresee this happening, um, but it happened. Yeah. And this time it's really serious. It definitely seems serious and has had implications and impact on Bitcoin itself. Can you walk us through sort of the network impact of this move? Um. Well, so the network impact is like, when, when a lot of the machines were unplugged from the network, you get a lot of the hash rate loss. So after after Xinjiang, that was June 8th, the real-time hash rate of different major Chinese pools dropped like 
twenty something percent. Well, the polls is they're not necessarily the miners. It's just like they aggregating the hash rate, but they do show like the total real time hash rate that connected to their polls have been dropped. And then after Sichuan gave out the order that was June eighteen, and the order was closed down by June twentieth. So after that, it's keep dropping like twenty thirty percent. So since like maybe mid May until like oh, last week, I think the hash rate the network lost like around like fifty percent of the hash rate. It's about like ninety exa hash. So it's a lot. We don't know how much energy capacity that was powering that much of hash rate, but you can take like a mid range uh, assumption. The estimation could be like five six gigawatt of capacity. Like one gigawatt can power like half a million, maybe around like half a million U.S. homes. So you have like maybe around like five gigawatt of power that was powering on Bitcoin had to shut down. So if you want those hash rate to go back and go back to the all-time high, you need this amount of energy. So it's a lot. And the 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 implication on the market, I think a lot of the miners when they were in the you know 2020 when they're kind of expanding either their mining equipment or the infrastructure, they borrowed a, borrow a lot of money, taking the leverage using their Bitcoin. So I think right after the crackdown comment, there was a lot of pressure on them too, from their um, loan providers or their LPs in terms of like liquidating the uh, collaterals. But I think like we have gone past that stage so far. I want to give another shout out to Aventus. Aventus is the world's leading platform for digital asset trade surveillance, market risk, and transaction monitoring with some of the largest crypto exchanges and institutions in the world using Aventus to drive efficiencies in their regulatory operations and mitigate the risks of fines and reputational damage. Visit AventusSystems.com today to find out why 80% of the firms who take a custom demo become clients. Shine a light on your trading today with Aventus. For the last 10 years, Kraken has been known as one of the best platforms for trading crypto online. Now with the new Kraken app, it's easier than ever to buy and sell over 60 of the most popular cryptocurrencies on the go 24-7. Simply download the Kraken app, connect your bank account, and start investing for as little as $10. Just a minute is all it takes to get started. I also want to give a special thanks to Exodus. Exodus is one of the most loved crypto apps due to its sleek design and easy to use exchange feature. Secure and manage over 130 cryptocurrencies from your computer or phone and interactive charts let you view the price history of a specific asset and your portfolio's performance over time. Sync your wallet across multiple devices to access your funds from anywhere. Maybe the best part is Exodus is integrated with the Trezor hardware wallet, making advanced security easy for everyone. Download Exodus at Exodus.com today. So there's this clear impact on the market. How has this kind of further fueled what's going on in, in North America? This could be bad for you, Wolfie. You're going to, you know, you've spent so much time uh, getting all of these connections out there in, in China and you kind of have been, you know, the source and hub of all knowledge. Now it's all moving to North America. You're going to have to move. You're going to have to move here. Yeah, I'm going to be jobless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of them are moving, traveling to the U.S. to look for like new facilities. Um, 
because like I think I think people do consider like the regulatory kind of risk because like so far the U.S. has probably a better regulatory environment to do business because like there's like a probably like a better legal system. Like the laws have to be passed by the Senate and and the House and be signed into the law. There's like a process. I guess like people consider that as a big factor too. And after the、uh, crackdown comment came out, a lot of miners I knew, like even the mining pools, they have, some of them are traveling to the U.S. and look for different facilities. And even Bitmain, they're trying to build more infrastructure outside of China. The problem, like right now, is like many of the miners want to relocate somewhere else, but they they can't find enough facilities and capacity. So yeah, looking looking for capacity in the U.S., building more infrastructure in the U.S. It's gonna be a, like a long-term plan. Who do you think benefits the most? Oh, benefits most is those who are still mining wherever they are, like whoever is on the on the network.、Mm-hmm. the The people who are powering the current ninety exahashes of the of the network, because they're gonna join, like they're gonna have like a mining revenue increase, gonna cut a bigger part of the block rewards every day. But in the long term, I think yeah, the U.S. facilities. Are gonna U.S., Canada, Russia, Kazakhstan. These countries are gonna be benefiting the most. Probably the U.S. is benefiting a lot from this because I mean, if you look at the total energy capacity installed, China is the has the biggest energy install, installed in the world, and the U.S. is next to that. And then you have maybe like Canada and and Russia. But yeah, it's just a matter of time when when there's gonna be enough capacity. There's like a way more supply of the machines in the market, secondhand, millions of them. Wow! So how is that playing out? No, it's just like millions of machines being pl- unplugged from the network, and they're either I don't know changing hands through brokers, and if there are buyers from the US, they want to buy. They're gonna there's plenty of supplies in the market, but I don't know. I, I think. For like institutions, if they want to like increase their capacity in, in hash rate, maybe buying those cheap like secondhand machines are not the best option for them. Like they may not prefer that. If they have the money, they would prefer something that is that is new, and even if it's gonna be delivered in the future, well, probably not until like sometime next year. But it's new. It's new machines. I can guarantee it's new from the supplier, from the manufacturer itself directly, instead of from some brokers. Because I don't know. If the quality is gonna be good, so if you're gonna stay in the long term in the game, like for the long term, I mean the institutions, it's kind of natural for them to prefer new equipment, you know, guaranteed quality. The secondhand miners is gonna be there for a while. What does this mean for just China? Has a huge DeFi presence and scene. There's so many projects based out of there. Is this kind of like a a canary in the coal mine for them? Um. <laughs> Yeah, maybe. I mean, I'm not. I think a lot of the miners they they had they had the difficulty getting to the DeFi in the DeFi summer last year. Many of them could kind of wait on the sideline. But yeah, just potentially. I mean, like many of many of the miners have been in this industry for a while. Maybe some of them are have already been doing like different kinds of projects already in addition to the mining. So yeah, DeFi, and also I think I think so far like kind of the storage mining kind of、uh, projects they have not been so if- affected as far as I know. Like for example, like Filecoin or Chia Network, because they are not necessarily using the the 
direct supply from power plants. They're just using IDCs, like industrial data centers. So far, I haven't heard any crackdown on those uh, areas. So maybe they can, because those those projects like Filecoins and Chia, they don't really consume a lot of mm-hmm. energy. Right? They're pretty just, just hard drives. So those are, seems like they're fine um, so far. So yeah, maybe those those areas going to be there for a while. At least it seems like that's the case. And what about on the trading side? The general markets is, I think everything we just had, we have been having this like OTC difficulty for a while. I think since like sometime 2020, the fiat on-ramp and off-ramp has, have already been pretty difficult with a lot of bank freeze and the odds that you're going to get some dirty money in the process kind of freak out a lot of people. So that has already been a problem. And now I think the, the PBOC just said, you know, they, they told the commercial banks to not, if they ever found any retail traders or OTC that are using their bank services, they're going to cut, basically freeze their funds and terminate their customer relationship. So that puts on some pressure, I think. So it's just getting harder and harder for new money to come in. Like the, the, if you're new and you don't have crypto and you want to participate in the market, you have to go through OTC at some point. You have to turn your fiat into Tether. And that channel is just being severely like, affected. So yeah, it's going to be hard for new money to come in for sure. Yeah, probably for a while. Yeah, it's like if you want to liquidate your assets, the only way you can get Maybe the best way is to go through your friends, like literally like going through like peer-to-peer friends. Mm-hmm. And like really seriously, like how many friends are gonna I mean if you if you just sell like maybe a thousand, two thousand dollars and maybe it's fine, but if you really are, like trying to be serious and have more money, so yeah, it's gonna be difficult. But other than that, I think the crypto to crypto trading so far on that front is not affected, like leverage and futures and you know, people have, have been just keep doing what they do. But yeah, it's just hard to pump up, pumping like new money, non-crypto native. So how is this impacting sort of maybe like the um, chip manufacturers? They are probably fine. I mean, it seems like maybe second half of last year, they have been selling a lot of machines to the U.S. Mm-hmm. and North America investors anyway. So the supply, the new supply that is their like future orders, the supply to like domestic investors are not, it's not that big anyway. For them, so far, like there's nothing serious, like regulatory things on them because they, I mean, they actually make the product, right? And they, they sell it and they pay taxes and they have a lot of employees. So you can say like, they're actually like a cheap designer, right? They're, they're, I mean, in a sense, they're not really different from NVIDIA. They're just making a chip. It's just that it's specialized the chip for my doing one type of algorithm, that's it. But for them, it's fine. I think. So far, they're being the, the the operation have not been affected. It's just like for Kana, maybe they wanted to get into the soft mining business. Then they announced it in their maybe like Q1 earning report, and then they said they're gonna start soft mining. And then the Q2, they said the government said you cannot really do that. So the way for them to do it is like they relocated some of the hash rate to Kazakhstan, probably somewhere else in the U.S. maybe. But yeah, as long as you don't do the self-mining, I think just by making the manufacturing, the machines, it's going to be fine. Do you think there's anything that's like miss? Like, like what's the biggest misconception or misunderstanding out of this whole saga? 
I think when people say like China fought, they they tend to like shrug it off because this this is another ban or another fought. But I think people probably underestimated the seriousness <laughs> of the whole thing at the very beginning this time. I think even for a lot of miners here, they underestimated how serious the efforts will be. Maybe they're like part of them know that it's going to be serious, but they're just like hoping it will not be, mm-hmm. you know, wishful thinking. But yeah, I think the world outside has pretty like underestimated. They thought they thought this is going to be another kind of iteration of the crackdown, but then it gets serious and then people realize, oh, maybe it's just for the ESGs. Uh, maybe it's just for the miners in Xinjiang and uh, Sichuan would be fine. But it turns out like everything's gone. So yeah, I guess a lot of people didn't see that coming. Totally. Well, we want to be respectful of your time so you can get back to it. I'm sure you've got another. What's your next story? What do we got out of the docket? Not sure. We're we're doing a mining map to like break down the biggest players in the in the U.S. and in North America, pretty much like outside of China. Who are these people? Who how much hash rate they have? Mm-hmm. We're gonna do a sort of like ecosystem map. So I think that's gonna be useful. Super cool. Well, we can't wait for that. And also, you know, folks listening, Wolfie whipped up a really great timeline. We've talked a lot about the different happenings in that timeline on the show today. So check that out. That one's really good. Wolfie, thank you so much for coming on the show. This will be the first of many, I'm sure. Talk to you soon. Talk to you on Slack. All right. Thanks for having me.